All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we are gathered once again to study his holy scriptures. Now, we told you a while back we're going to proceed to study the book of Revelation. But of course, Yahuwah had other plans. And so we took some time to look at the laws of Yahuwah Abba, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath. And we understand that during something happened between the days of Yahusha here on earth and our time today, where the Sabbath was replaced into a Sunday, which they called the Lord's Day. So we looked at that. It was, this was a product, not of biblical thinking, but a mixture of thinking. And so we took some time to do that. And so we're now going to proceed to the book of Revelation. However, for us to really and fully understand the book of Revelation, there are some prerequisites that we need to go through first. It's like before you can study calculus, you have to study trigonometry and algebra first. If you skip algebra and trigonometry, you jump to calculus, you're not going to understand anything. And so it's the same thing with the book of Revelation, because out of all the books in the Holy Bible, the most enigmatic of all is Revelation. And so we cannot fully grasp and understand Revelation with all of its symbols and images without knowing and understanding the book of Daniel. And so basically, Daniel serves as an introduction uh, to the book of Revelation because they speak of end time events. They are apocalyptic by nature. And so Daniel is basically a prelude to our studies in the book of Revelation. Why is that? What are the characteristics of Revelation and Daniel? Let's go to the, our first slide. Both use symbolism and imagery. This is why when you read the book of Revelation, a lot of people give up. What do these symbols mean? Where, did this, where does this image come from? Turns out a lot of it, in fact, all of it comes in the Old Testament. And so we study the Old Testament. We study the Torah. Now we study the book of Daniel because they teach us a lot of the material that is used in the book of Revelation. So we will not understand the symbolism and the imagery without understanding the Torah and also the book of Daniel. Also, Revelation in Daniel are written in the context of suffering and exile and persecution. Because when you think of Daniel, it was written during captivity in Babylon. And Revelation was written by Apostle John uh, after 70 AD, which was the exile, the persecution, because the temple in Jerusalem uh, was destroyed. So there are similarities there. Uh, also, both are intense when you look at the the, the images and the symbolism is very intense, and it evokes a lot of emotion. They speak of an adversary. So there's a main adversary that the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation speak about. But also, at the same time, it offers a promise of a future and eternal kingdom. The book of Daniel speaks so much about empires and kingdoms that have risen and have expired with uncanny detail so much so that many critics of the book of Daniel um, are accusing Daniel or the book of Daniel to have been written after the fact. And so they think that, that Daniel was written after the prophecies were fulfilled instead of before it, because the detail that is found in the book of Daniel, it's so precise. And those who don't believe in the existence of God, they only have one explanation. This must have been written after the fact. But uh, we will show you that these prophecies were fulfilled and the Dead Sea Scrolls proved to us that the book of Daniel was already in existence even before the prophecy actually took place. Okay, 
So it speaks of a promise of a future and eternal kingdom. It has dreams and visions and prophecies. And they also both speak about celestial beings and celestial bodies. And so these are the characteristics of Revelation and Daniel. So as you can see, it's those two books are very similar to understand Daniel leads us to a proper and complete, well, I shouldn't say complete, a proper and a good understanding of Revelation, because I don't think we can completely understand uh, Revelation in one sitting. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look at the book of Daniel. But somebody uh, suggested or somebody requested before we go into Daniel that we go through a timeline so that we can get our bearings so that we know where we are in the timeline of biblical history. And so that's what we're going to do before we jump into Daniel chapter 1, uh, some timeline of events. Uh, we begin with 1410 BC, which was the conquest of Canaan. Remember, we left off in the study of the Holy Scriptures at the Torah. In Deuteronomy, we see Moses dying. And who became the, uh, the replacement, the successor? Who was that? Joshua. Joshua. And so Joshua will be the one to lead the people of Israel uh, to Canaan and to conquer Canaan and to lead the people of Israel to the promised land. This uh, took place about 1410 BC. Now, when we put the dates in the timeline, uh, please accept this loosely. This is not set in stone because obviously we don't have any, at least I don't have, have any uh, sure and certain records because these are events that took place in the past. So we are relying on archeological work and sometimes that evolves. And so this is a dynamic uh, dating system that we're using for the timeline. So 1410 BC, thereabouts, uh, was the conquest of Canaan, right? And after the conquest of Canaan, they are situated in the promised land. The book of Judges comes and then he requests for a king, right? So who became the first king? Yeah, it was uh, Saul. But before Saul becomes king, I just want to inject here that at the same time, after the conquest, Assyria, a nation of Assyria, was beginning to assert itself. So during Israel's development from 1400 BC to its divided kingdom in the ninth century, the Assyrian nation dominated the world scene politically and militarily. Their capital was to the north in Nineveh, and the Jews often uh, had to pay tribute or fight off the strong and wicked neighbor. So Assyria was one of the main players in the development of Israeli history, the, the people of God's history. So when they started out as a kingdom, Assyria was building itself politically and militarily. So that was 1410 BC. And then Saul becomes like what uh, we've already discussed, becomes the first king 1060 BC. Saul so becomes the first king of the United Kingdom. 40 years after that, it was who? David becomes king of the United Kingdom. Now, when we say United Kingdom, we're not talking about England here. We're talking about the United Kingdom of Israel because it was still Israel and Judah because it, they, they did not divide until later on. Okay, And then 980 BC, Solomon becomes king of the United Kingdom. Again, not uh, there in Britain, Okay, but this is in Israel. And then after nine, after these Solomon becomes king, what happens to the kingdom? It's divided, right? That was about 940 BC, the divided kingdom, house of Israel, and the house of Judah stood side by side. You had Rehoboam and Jeroboam as its first kings. And so as 
Israel and Judah stood side by side, both of them would not be faithful to God. But the worst of the two evils was Israel because they were following idolatry, following false gods instead of following Yahuwah Alahim. And so Israel became, uh, because of their infidelity, they were rejected by Yahuwah. And so in 722, what happened to Israel? They were destroyed. They were conquered, right? And who conquered them? That's right, the Assyrians. So 722 BC, the house of Israel falls to Assyria, but the house of Judah remains standing. So the house of Judah is still intact. It's still there. And so you have all these kings that become or sit on the throne of Judah, one after the other, but most of them were evil kings, right? It was a good thing breath of fresh air came when a new king sat on the throne by the name of Josiah, 2 Kings 22:1-2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jadida, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath, and he did what was right in the sight of Yahuwah and walk in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And so one of the kings of Judah that was a good king was someone by the name of Josiah. We all know about the story of Josiah, right? In his 18th year, what did he decide to do? He wanted to repair the temple. He wanted to restore the temple. And as they were doing so, what did they find? In verses 8 down to 10, they found the book of the law in Yahuwah's temple. And so when he discovered this book and he began to read this book, what did he inquire about? Let's read 2 Kings 22, 11 to 13. When the king heard what was written in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Then he gave those orders uh, to Hilkiah, the priest, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbar, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the court secretary, and Isaiah, uh, the king's personal advisor, go to the temple and speak to Yahuwah for me and for the people and for all Judah. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For Yahuwah's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do And so when the king discovered this scroll, right, when he found out about uh, the, the book of law, the law of Moses, he became very upset and very concerned because he realized they were not following everything that's found written in that scroll. And so he inquired more. He wanted to know more about the message of Yahuwah. What does Yahuwah want with uh, his people after discovering the scroll. And so what was the result of that inquiry? Let's read 15 and 17. She said to them, want to pause there for a while. Who is this she? If you still remember, who is this she? Remember the king, during the days of the kingdom, the king had a different function from the prophets. And so when the king wanted to know the will of Abba, they, can, they often referred to, the, they went to uh, the prophets, right? Who was his prophetess uh, mentioned here? Hulda, right? She said to them, Yahuwah, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back and tell the man who sent you, this is what Yahuwah says. I'm going to bring disaster on this city and its people. All the words written in the scroll 
that the king of Judah has read will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. And I'm very angry with them for everything they have done. My anger will burn against this place and it will not be quenched. And so when they inquired the prophet Tess about Yahuwah's will, about what he's going to do after discovering this scroll, it wasn't something pleasant. It was actually a message of doom. What did Yahuwah say? Yahuwah says to the prophet to tell the man who sent you to me that the people of Israel, people of Judah, they're going to be destroyed because they have abandoned me. But what also was Yahuwah's message to Huldah to speak, to tell to the king, to tell the king of Judah. Let's read 18 to 20, but go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek Yahuwah and tell him. This is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself before Yahuwah when you heard what I said against the city and its people that this land would be cursed and become desolate. You tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says Yahuwah. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on the city. So they took her message back to the king. And so because Yahuwah uh, was pleased with the king of Judah. What's his name again? Josiah. Because of his repentance and because he did what was good, Yahuwah said that he will not experience the disaster that Yahuwah is going to bring upon the people of Judah. This disaster will come upon them after he is dead and buried. And so we find Josiah in his 18th year as king of Judah, he initiated many reforms. He took out the idolatry. He took out the Asherah poles. He took out the altars of the false gods inside uh, the temple. And so this took place 622 BC. So you can see the uh, progression of history from 1410 BC, right, all the way to 622 BC. King Josiah initiates reforms. And as he initiated these reforms, what was Israel able to do in that short period of time when Josiah was taking a lead, doing the right things before Yahuwah Elohim? In 2 Chronicles 35, 18, never since the time of the prophet Samuel had there been such a Passover. None of the kings of Israel had ever kept a Passover as Josiah did involving all the priests and Levites, all the people of Jerusalem, and people from all over Judah and Israel. So they were able to have a Passover that was according to the will of Yahuwah. And so the Bible speaks about, when it, when it speaks about Josiah, what does it say concerning his life? In 2325, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to Yahuwah with all his heart and soul and strength obeying all the laws of Moses. And there has never been a king like him since. And so if you were going to die, this is a good way to die, right? And so Josiah found great favor in the eyes of Yahuwah Elohim. Yahuwah blessed him. And Yahuwah said to him, you're not going to experience the disaster that's going to fall upon the people of 
Judah. However, if we keep reading, we read 25, let's read 26. Even so, right, Yahuwah was very angry with Judah because of all the wicked things Manasseh had done to provoke him. For Yahuwah said, I will also banish Judah from my presence, just as I have banished Israel, and I will reject my chosen city of Jerusalem and the temple where my name was to be honored. And so what was the decree of Yahuwah after the death of Josiah? Bible says, even so, even though uh, Jos uh, Josiah initiate, initiated the reforms, right? Even so, what was the decree of Yahuwah? He was still angry with Judah. He could not forgive what Manasseh had done. Imagine that. He's going to go back all the way to the days of Manasseh. This was like, what, 30 years before Josiah? It was the king, 30 to 40 years before Josiah. And so this was like decades ago. Apparently, Manasseh's sins are, it's only now catching up to the people of Israel. And so Yahuwah decreed that Judah is going to be destroyed, and he's blaming Manasseh, right? I wonder what Manasseh did, but Yahuwah decides, I'm going to banish Judah in the same way I banished Israel. And how did Yahuwah banish Israel? Through captivity, right? Assyria came, and they caused uh, the, the ten tribes to disperse. And replace uh, that area you, that was used to that was occupied previously by um, the ten tribes with different people. Okay, so this is how Assyria, the Assyrians conquered other kingdoms by causing them to disperse, diluting their ethnicity so that they would not uh, get together again to form a nation. So that's what happened. And so Yahuwah says in the same way that I banished Israel, I'm going to banish the people of Judah. And so what happened after the death of Josiah? Let's read 29 to 30. While Josiah was king, uh, Pharaoh, uh, uh, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. By the way, so what I meant to ask, what happened uh, during the days of Josiah? How did Josiah end his career? Uh, while Josiah was king, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went to the Euphrates River to help the king of Assyria. King Josiah and his army marched out to fight him, but King Necho killed him when they met at Megiddo. Josiah's officers took his body back in a chariot from Megiddo to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land anointed Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, and made him the next king. And so how was how did Josiah die? Bible says um, two kingdoms kind of joined together, right? And this was Assyria and also Egypt. So you had Egypt and Assyria. We have to understand that when we talk about the people of God, people of Israel, we need to also look at the background, what's happening at the background, because the Bible is pro-Israel. It tells us a story of Israel, but the Bible also gives us background information about the coming and going of different kingdoms. So we have Assyria as a superpower, and now we have Egypt that's developing, right? And eventually Egypt would surpass Assyria. So you have these two powers, Egypt and Assyria, persecuting uh, the people of Israel. They join forces 
And the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, what's his name? Nico. What does he do? He kills Josiah. And so after Josiah dies, who became the next king? The son. His name is Jehoahaz. So now Josiah is dead. Jehoahaz is the next king. How long did he become king for? Let's read 31 to 33. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem. How long? Three months. You know, I want to pause here for a while. In my point of view, I think the last king of Judah was Josiah. Because the next kings basically are going to be puppet kings. It was, so the last king really was Josiah. And so jo Josiah's son, Jehoahaz, he only sat on the throne for three months. His mother was Hamotel, the daughter of Jeremiah from Libna. He did what was evil in Yahuwah's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah in the hand of Hamath to prevent him from ruling in Jerusalem. So we can see the one who has power over Israel now is who? It's really Egypt, right? The Egyptians had power over the people of Judah. So Pharaoh Necho put Jehoahaz in prison at Riblah in the hand of Hamath to prevent him from ruling Jerusalem. He also demanded that Judah pay 7,500 pounds of silver and 75 pounds of gold as tribute. And so we can see the controlling nation was who? Egypt, right? And so when you think about Judah, Judah, as we know, became captives of Babylon. But before that, in reality, they also became captives of Egypt. Egypt, right? And Babylon. They were the two conquerors of Judah and Jerusalem. And so after Jehoahaz was put in prison, who became king? And who installs him as king? Let's read 2 Kings 23. 34, 35, Pharaoh Necho then installed Eliakim, another of Josiah's sons, uh, to reign in place of his father. And he changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. Jehoahaz was taken to Egypt as a prisoner when he died. In order to get the silver and gold demanded as tribute by Pharaoh Necho, Jehoiakim collected a tax from the people of Judah, requiring them to pay in proportion to their Wealth And so after um, the king was imprisoned, a new king takes his place. What's his name? Eliakim, another one of Josiah's sons. But his name was changed into Jehoiakim. But who was the one who places him to be king of Judah? Who was it? Pharaoh. Again, he's basically a vassal king. He's a puppet king. The one in control is Pharaoh. The one in control is Egypt. So before it was Assyria and then Egypt, right? But the one who would supplant them all would be a different kingdom. What kingdom was that? See, while all this was taking place in the world stage, a new power emerged to challenge the Assyrian supremacy. And in 612, the Babylonians destroyed Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, and established themselves as a world rulers, eventually destroying Egypt as well. So there was only one world ruler at this point. That's the kingdom of Babylon. And so that's the context of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is written in the context of Babylonian rule. Okay. 
And in the book of Daniel, we're going to see the evolution of different kingdoms and world powers of the world. We're going to see that in the future chapters of the book of Daniel. And so the context is captivity, right? So the Babylonians are now in power. And so what happened? Because the Babylonians now destroyed Assyria and destroyed Egypt. What did they do? Let's read 2 Kings uh, 24, 1-4. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he changed his mind and rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Yahuwah sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, Namanite raiders against him. He sent them to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of Yahuwah proclaimed by his servants and the prophet, his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to Yahuwah's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all that he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and Yahuwah was not willing to forgive. And so when the Babylonians became the world power, the only world power during that time, what did they do? They invaded Jerusalem, right? And installed Jehoiakim as their vassal for three years. And Yahuwah sent different raiders, Babylonians, Arameans, Moabites, Ammonites, to destroy Judah. Why? Because he wanted to banish Judah from his presence. And when Yahoo was doing this, what does the Bible say was the reason? <laughs> if you notice, it mentions who again? Manasseh. For some reason, he did something really awful, right? This is why, and here it tells us, what that number one awful thing he did was, for he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and Yahuwah was not willing to forgive. So that was one of the things that Yahuwah had against uh, Manasseh. He killed innocent blood, and he was not willing to forgive. And remember, even before Manasseh, even before, even after Manasseh, long after Manasseh, there had been evil kings. But he goes back to Manasseh, right? And so we got to figure out why is that? What does Yahuwah God have against Manasseh? We know he's an evil king, but there were other evil kings in the past too, right? What, what, what set apart Manasseh from the other evil kings? And so let's go ahead and look at a synopsis of Manasseh. What did he do? Well, Manasseh turned out, if you read the book of uh, 2 Kings 21, he built pagan shrines, constructed altars for Baal, set up an Asherah pole. Have you heard that before? I mean, this is like not the first time we heard about the Asherah pole. How many here know what an Asherah pole is? These Asherah poles are basically poles. They're like towers and spears. And they look something like this. And so pagan cultic religions involve themselves with building or erecting these towers that point to the sky, like spears that point to the sky. And the purpose of this was to recognize false gods. But if you will read literature, pagan literature, you can find the influence of Asherah poles throughout pagan religions. And the one behind it, you know who it is? Satan. He's also the one basically behind the Tower of Babel. The Babel was a tower that pointed up to the sky, right? 
And so these Asherah poles was influenced by the devil, the adversary, or Satan. And so when you trace the influence of Asherah poles, it doesn't end in Manasseh. It doesn't end with the people of Israel and Judah. The influence of Asherah poles can be found throughout the history of mankind. As a matter of fact, we have modern Asherah poles today. We find them in places of power. We find them in places where people are authorized to make decisions for the masses. Who do you think is behind that? The devil. Remember, the devil wants to control the world. When the devil seeks to control the world, he's not going to fix his sights on a person who doesn't have influence. He will always fix his sights with people who have influence. And so when you look at these places throughout the world where power and authority are found, you will find these towers, right? Unfortunately, these towers are also found in religious temples. This is why there are so many cathedrals and temples today of different religious groups that have these spires, these towers. Guess what? Those are Asherah poles. And you can guess the one influencing religions that have temples that have these spires is who? The devil. This is, uh, these are religions that are being influenced by the adversary. This is why it's not good if you're going to build a house of worship but to have these spires or these Asherah poles. It's indicative of the work, not of God, but the enemy or the adversary of Yahuwah. So Manasseh set up an Asherah pole, but it doesn't end there. He bowed to and worshiped the powers of the heavens. He built pagan altars inside the temple of Yahuwah. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination. He consulted with mediums and psychics. He murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other with innocent blood. And so he used his authority as the ruler of the people of God to kill the people of God, innocent people of God. And so this really was what got Yahuwah very upset, right? All of this provoked the anger of Abba, but especially that last one, when he used his authority to murder, to kill innocent people. Now, you might think Manasseh was a king who was evil, right? Do you know how long he ruled for, how long he ruled in Judah? You know how long he was king for in his reign in Judah? Do you know how long it was for? I mean, if you think he's a bad king, he's probably less than three months, right? <laughs> how long was he? Turns out, of all the kings in the house of Israel and the house of Judah, Manasseh ruled the longest, 55 years. The one who ruled the longest was the most wicked of them all. And so some people might think, you know, if Yahuwah God placed him, if he was placed there, right, to rule his people Israel, uh, his Judah, why would God not take him out? <laughs> That's really not for us to answer. This is Yahuwah's will. And so he lasted for 55 years. The most evil king lasted the longest as king of Judah. Lasted even longer than Saul and David and, and Solomon, right? How, many, how long did they rule for? 40 years. This guy, 55 years. 
and long after he died, right? When Babylon came into the scene, what did Yahuwah God say? Why is he banishing from his presence the people of Judah? Because of Manasseh. And so Babylon comes into the scene. They're the superpower now. Now we can enter the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, 1 to 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of Gum, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his Gum. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So when we open in the book of Daniel, we have the setting, right? It was the third year of that vassal king. What's his name? Jehoiakim. But who was the one controlling him? It was Babylon. Babylon was the one who installed him. Eventually, Babylon um, would be destroyed. I mean, Babylon would destroy uh, Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. And so when Babylon overcame or conquered Jerusalem, it really was who's doing? Yahuwah, right? This is why Babylon cannot, cannot boast, because this was the will of Yahuwah Abba. Yahuwah was the one who gave Jehoiakim and the kingdom of and the kingdom of Judah to Babylon. And so when this happened, he took people, right? He he brought people like what's his name? Daniel to become captives in Jerusalem. I mean in, in, in Babylon. You see, Babylon is very different from Assyria. When Assyria would conquer a nation, you know what they would do? They would cause them to disperse, right? Cause them to be mixed with other cultures so that they would lose the fidelity of their ethnicity, so that they would not in the future assemble together as a nation again. But Babylon is different. When they conquer a nation, you know what they do? This is what they do. What they do is they take the cream of the crop, the best of the best, and then they will indoctrinate them. Cultic indoctrination. They will take the best of the best, so that they can be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon. So they can belong to the cult of Babylon. And who is the leader of their cult? The king, right? It would be Nebuchadnezzar. So this is what they do. Very different from Assyria. So the Babylonians, at this point, when they took Daniel, they also took others with him, right? And these others that were taken included Ezekiel. This is why Daniel had two contemporary prophets. It was Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. Daniel was taken to the palace. Ezekiel stayed with the people who were in exile in Babylon. And Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. Okay, And so Yahuwah God provided prophets that would teach the people of God. Because the way the Babylonians conquered nations, they would not destroy the entire city. They would take the cream of the crop and re-educate them. And so this was in 606 BC. And so Babylon would come again in 596 BC and then 586 BC. That's when Babylon finally destroyed the temple, including the walls, 
and the city. And so it took a while before Babylon completely destroyed and annihilated the people of uh, Judah. Okay, so it took a while. And so while this was taking place, Daniel was already taken in captivity into Babylon. Who also was with him? Ezekiel. And he was stationed to teach the people of Judah, the people of Israel, who were not in the palace. They were just there in exile. Uh, Daniel, on the other hand, he was a prophet basically to the leaders of Babylon because he was in the palace. And Jeremiah, where did he stay? He stayed behind. He was in prison there in, in Judah. Okay. And so what happened? Uh, what was this cultic in, indoctrination all about? In the book of Daniel, 1, 3, 4, then the king ordered Ash, Ashpenas, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Remember, they were selecting the cream of the crop, right? They wanted to get the best of the best. And they had a selection criteria. What did that include? Physic no physical defect. Handsome. <laughs> had to be handsome. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach the language and literature of the Babylonians. And so the first thing they looked for was... They had to belong to a nice family, a royal family, nobility. Perhaps Ezekiel did not belong to any of those. And so Ezekiel was just taking among the masses. But there were selected individuals who came from the royal family and who were of nobility. And they had all these criteria, all these features, no physical defect, handsome, could learn quickly. Why were they chosen? Well, the king had a program of indoctrination for them. And what is that? To teach them the language, the literature of the Babylonians. For what purpose? To serve in the king's palace. They were to become the king's slaves, the king's servants. And so they were trained, they were indoctrinated to revere the king, okay? And who were included among those who were selected. Daniel, right? Daniel was selected. And those who were selected and being groomed to become the servants of the king, well, what were they given? Let's read verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that the end of that time they might serve before the king. You see the indoctrination? The indoctrination includes making them feel special, right? You are special to me. I love you. And so if you were going to ask uh, these selected individuals, they would speak highly of the king. <laughs> After all, they were giving the kings delicacies, right? I mean, back then, there was a big difference between what the king ate and what everyone else ate. If you were eating what the king was eating, you had it good. Not only that, they had the wine that the king drank, right? And so how would you feel if you were given the, king, the king's uh, feast and you were drinking the king's wine? How would you feel? Would you feel special, right? That's one of the things that they do. And even today, you know, cults, that's what they do. That's how they indoctrinate their followers. They make them feel special, okay? So watch out for that. And the purpose of all this 
is to get them to serve before the king, to be one with the king, so that they will never, ever be disloyal to their king. This is part of cultic indoctrination, but also is part of cultic indoctrination. Let's read what it says here in the book of Daniel, 1, 6 to 7. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Mesha. Azariah was called Abednego. And so what was included in this cultic indoctrination process? They were given a different identity, right? They changed the names from their name to a Babylonian name. Why? So that their identity, how they think of themselves, would be changed. Now they become a property of the Babylonian king. You see that? And so no longer will they be able to say, I belong to my mother. I belong to my dad, my mom. No, you belong to your leader now. And so they make all the decisions now for these individuals, right? That's part of cultic indoctrination. Even today, many cults operate using this process. They get them to change their identity and be loyal to their one leader. Even today, this is taking place. So they change the name. They give them a new identity. When you look at the names, um, it's fascinating because Daniel means God is my image. It's changed to Belfashazar, which means Bel's prince. Hananiah, meaning beloved by Yahuwah, changed to Shadrach, meaning illumined by the sun god. Mishael, who is as God, to Meshach, which is uh, meaning who is like Venus. Azariah, Yahuwah is my help, to Abednego, meaning servant of Nego. And so they're being associated with some of the Babylonian pagan gods. Right, And so they change your identity so that their loyalty will change and they'll become enslaved to their king. And so they were given a new identity. They were provided training. You notice they were going to be trained for how long? Three years. Three years of indoctrination. Three years of being focused on what the king wants them to learn. In addition to the three years, they were also offered the best delicacies, the best foods and the best drink. That's how you become a cult. That's how you can win over converts who will follow you and be loyal to you, okay? And this is still in operation even today. However, there was someone who rejected that part about eating the best parts of best foods that the kingdom could offer. Who was that? You guessed it, Daniel, right? One eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself uh, this way. And so one who resisted was Daniel because he knows the food and the wine were offered to false gods. And so by eating that food, by drinking that wine, he would defile himself. So he made a stand. He stood up for what is right. You know, many of us can learn from this example of Daniel. We need to learn to stand up on the side of righteousness. If we know someone, what someone's doing is going to defile you, if you know what they're making you do is against the will of Abba, we need to make a stand. Daniel took that stand. He resolved not to defile himself. And when he made that decision, 
despite, you know, what, because Daniel was a slave, basically. He had no voice here, right? He had no voice. Who was he that people would listen to him? But he made a resolution. He convinced himself, I'm not going to touch the king's food. And so what did God do? Daniel 1, 9, 10. Now, God, take note, had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who, was, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And so what did God do? Because he saw the conviction and the loyalty of Daniel. Yahuwah God caused the official to show favor and sympathy towards Daniel. In other words, this official was willing to listen to what Daniel had to say. Okay, But this official was also concerned about his own life. Because if Daniel and his companions would end up looking worse than how they started, then he would have his life in jeopardy. And so what was the suggestion then? Let's read 11 to 14. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do to this and tested them for 10 days. And so what did Daniel do? What was his suggestion to the officials? He said, why don't you test us for 10 days? We're not going to eat the king's food. We're going to eat vegetables and water. We're not going to drink the wine, just water. And then you can test us after 10 days to see whether or not we became worse. Okay, so that was a suggestion. So what happened? 15 to 16. At the end of the 10 days, they looked, what does it say? Healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, probably had a lot of steak and uh, lechon, right? A lot of uh, good food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now they looked healthier, better nourished. Perhaps the vegetables had something to do with that, but I would believe that it was Yahuwah blessing them with health and nourishment. What do you think? Right? I think it was really Yahuwah who is working behind the scenes. And he's doing something because he can see that his servants were loyal to him. You see, when you're loyal to Yahuwah Abba, he notices that. And he will do something to help you in your circumstance. And so at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished. Not only did Yahuwah God bless them with health and nourishment, you know what else Yahuwah God did to them? Let's read 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And so in addition to blessing them with health and nourishment, what also did Yahuwah God give them? He gave them an aptitude for understanding and learning. And so they were able to understand literature and wisdom. And Daniel, most of all, was given a special ability. What was that ability? To interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And the bulk of the book of Daniel 
is about those visions and dreams. Because those visions and dreams come from who? Yahuwah. To speak of the history of the people of Israel. Especially all the way to the end times. This is why we're studying Daniel. Because these special visions and dreams coincide with revelation. And its images and symbols. This is why we're studying the book of Daniel. But remember, God was the one who gave this ability to his four servants. Why? Because they were loyal to him. So brethren, when we are loyal to Yahuwah Abba, you can expect Yahuwah to bless us in unusual and great ways. And so after three years, because they were being trained for three years, the inspector is going to come. Who is that inspector? The king, right? He's going to talk to his subjects. He is going to determine who's going to serve in the royal palace to be the king's servants. Let's read Daniel 1, 18 and 21. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them. No one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Yeah, that? And so when uh, Daniel and before finished their training and the king comes in to inspect what did the king find out when he was talking with the people who were being trained. The king, after speaking with them, he discovered that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Hazariah were 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom, especially Daniel. You notice in the last passage, the last part of the verse, Daniel remained in the royal service. He served in the, in the palace, right? Until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Question, was Cyrus, was he the king of Babylon? No, no. but the Persians, right? And so he outlasted many kings. This, this uh, Daniel guy who was a slave, a captive, right? He outlasted kings. Who do you think provided him the ability to outlast all those kings? Who is it? Yeah, it was Yahuwah, our Elohim. You see, brethren, when we are so faithful and loyal to Yahuwah that we will have the courage to take a stand, Yahuwah will never forget that. And he will bless us. And always remember, behind the scenes, Yahuwah Abba is able to orchestrate things in our favor. This is why he started out as a slave, but he influenced the palace even way past the days and times of Nebuchadnezzar. So be faithful to Yahuwah because Yahuwah just like what we sang today in our hymn, Yahuwah Abba, he will record the events of our life in his book. And that book will be in accordance to our faithfulness 
and our loyalty to Abba. And so one of the things that we need to understand about the book of Daniel, we need to be loyal first and foremost to who? Yahuwah. Do not be indoctrinated by all these different forces in the world today. Do not be indoctrinated by men because they always want to try and indoctrinate you. Let Yahuwah be the one to influence you, your mind, your heart. And if we will do that, we will be blessed by Yahuwah Elohim. Okay, that is our lesson for today. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba. Yes. Merciful and gracious Yahuwah. Amen. Thank you so much for your blessings. Yes. Thank you for giving us instruction this evening. Yes. About loyalty to you. Amen. Help us to gain courage. Yes. So that we can do what is right. Yes. So that we can receive your approval. Yes. And your divine favor. Amen. Many of your people who are present. Yes. We did our best. Yes. To do what is right. Yes. Yes. We had to face persecution. Yes. We had to lose many things. Sacrifice even our friends and family. Yes. But Father, we have you. And you mean more than anything and anyone. Yes. And so we will continue to sacrifice for your sake. Yes. Because the truth is, when we sacrifice anything to gain you, we gain everything. Because more than anyone, it is you that we desire. Yes. Father, please bestow upon us more courage. Yes. Because we know the adversary will work against us. Yes. Help us and teach us to stand our ground yes. to overcome the enemy. Amen. Our loving King, Mashiach Yahusha, yes. thank you so much for being with us. Please speak to our hearts. Yes. Teach us and influence us. Yes. May you be in our minds. Yes. Help us to be like you in every way yes. so that with every choice we make in our daily walk, yes. it will bring us closer to you and closer to Abba. Amen. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Yes. Continue to provide for all of our needs, yes. including our physical healing. Amen. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha Hamashiach. Amen. Amen.